welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. Welcome to Q&A Sunday today with Stephen K. Hooray. Hooray! It's really not that hard to find A words that you can end with, so we can make this longer as the years go by. Just prior to doing our Q&A, which obviously there's not a whole lot of Qs anyway, so uh, I have been praying about meditating on doing like an informational family gathering, family meeting to let some of you know some of the things that you would not otherwise know unless you were told. And I even contemplated, you know, should I just do this and not have it on the recording? And, and then I'm like, no, I really kind of want everybody to know it. Uh, you might not recognize the reality here, but between Rumble and our podcasts and our YouTube channel, there's about 2,000 people that follow what we do. And they're, uh, amen, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big deal. And sometimes you don't want to like tell outside people inside information and there's that whole thing. But then there's also just being honest and, and transparent and sincere with people that really blesses people. And especially in Christianity, because there's a whole facade that takes place. And it's not just in the pews, y'all. It's not just those Christians, those churchianity people that hide. It's a lot of ministers. They won't, they won't really say what's actually going on in their lives and, and stuff. And you might, you might personally know or at least peripherally know about how many churches and ministries and ministers have been devastated because they're incapable or unwilling of just being honest with people. You know, struggling with some kind of a sexual sin, but because I'm the preacher, I can't tell anybody or do anything about it because then what would people find out if I was struggling with some sin? And I, I just really hate it because God would rather have a person step down in ministry and let people, you know, yakety yak and for that person to get healed and save their marriage and save their family than for him to stay up there all braggadocious and prideful and then nuke everything. Nuke their marriage, nuke their family, nuke the church, nuke the... It's, it's better to just step down, go get healthy in those kind of situations, but because there is this massive pressure to have everything perfect all the time. 
especially in ministry, there is very little, if any, authenticity and transparency that happens from here. And so I, I wrestled with that a lot about having this time with you. And I'd considered, you know, doing it next week during the open board meeting because then only the people that really cared would be there. And I went back and forth on that because I know that some of the people really do care. They just can't be there. And some people really, really do care. And they're just out there miles and miles away in video land. And so I decided to do it here and now and on the recording so that everybody knows everything that you're going to say or everything that you're going to hear that I'm going to say. And, and Kay's going to back me up or at least be here for moral support or something, pray in tongues while I talk. <laughs> so the first thing that I want to say is we have... We have this incredible opportunity at the grace of God at Beloved Church in our grace groups. And for those of you out there in YouTube land, our grace groups are our small group. And this is something that is so near and dear to my heart because I have a deep revelation about really what the church is supposed to be. And most of the time, it's not this. There's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing bad with this. But this is only a sliver of what the Lord intended for the church to be. There should be this. If you don't have the big room, corporate, two, three, four, five hours, hanging out, doing a thing, giving an opportunity for a, um, a tongue, an interpretation, a prophetic word, a laying hand on whatever, you, you cannot really access those things outside of a corporate gathering. You're not going to get a prophetic word for a group when you're standing in the bathroom looking at yourself in the mirror. So there are things that can only take place in corporate settings. And honestly, there are, some of those things are uh, accentuated with more people that are in a room. And, and I know that, that you might kind of argue with that, like, no, nah, God loves small gatherings. Well, I got news for you. The first New Testament sermon that was ever preached was to a crowd of 3,000, and they all got born again. So day one of the church was a megachurch. Yeah. Amen. And, and you got people on both ends of this Spectrum, you got a ditch over here and a ditch over here. One ditch says mega churches are from hell and they're and they're evil and they turn people into numbers and they Okay, well Jesus had multiple mega church sermons. He had five thousand in one, he had four thousand in another, there was three thousand born again on the day of Pentecost. There were so many people at the beach on the day that he uh, launched his his ministry with Peter, that he had to get in a boat and row out and scream because there were so many people, they were pressing him into the water. So anybody that's over here in this dirt, that this ditch that hates large numbers, you do not have the heart of God. God wants as many numbers as possible. 
He wants full rooms, full hearts, all the spirit. He, he wants that. Build a bigger room. If it's full, build a bigger room. But he also loves this, the grace group, the small group, the one-on-one. I don't know why we can't get this. We are so dogmatic about our ideals that we think that there's only one way and that's the way and it's the way that I think. You ain't God. God has many ways to get things done. Many ways. I can prove it. You're here. You didn't get here how I got here. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. (laughs) There are going to be things that happen in the big room that aren't going to happen anywhere else. And if you don't want the big room to get bigger, you need to go home, check your heart, and find out why you're in the kingdom. If you're not trying to add people to the kingdom, then I really don't think that you're in it. Because if you were in it, you would want more people in it. So the people that struggle with evangelism and all that kind of stuff, I just don't know. I don't know if you're actually saved or if you're in or whatever. Don't, I'm not condemning no one. I'm just saying, if you don't want people in and you're not willing to do what it takes to get people in, you're probably not in. Because the scriptures are real clear. Taste and see the Lord is good. I want as many people to experience what I got as physically, spiritually, and soulishly possible. So much so I annoy people. I'm okay with that. But if you don't like the intimate setting either, then there's also something wrong with your Christianity. If all you want to do is be in a big room, hide in the back, on the back row, never meet anybody, I've met multiple people who've gone to a church for 10, 20, 30 years, and they couldn't name you 10 people in their church because they're one of a 1,000. And they come in late, And they do their thing, and they check the box, and they leave early, and there's no, that's not kingdom. I don't know why they're doing it, especially for a long time. Like, if if you're insecure, and and you got to do that for a minute, and kind of push through your fear and your insecurity, okay, I get it. You know, everybody's coming from a different place. But if if you're five, ten years in, and you still don't want people intimately in your heart, there's something broken in you, and it needs to be fixed. And so we recognize here at Beloved Church, the Lord gave me a revelation of this, and this comes out of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and you can read this in your free time. But they had big church and they had little church every day. They went to the synagogue, they gathered together every day, and they went from house to house every day. They, they had both. It wasn't either or. It was and. And that's the kingdom. The kingdom is big room, glorious wedding supper of the lamb. And it's also you and Jesus face to face intimate. Both of those are good. So we launched the grace groups because... We had some of the big room thing going, but we didn't have the little room thing going. And when we launched them, it took a while. It, like the traction on the grace groups, people were like, eh, I don't know. Sitting in a living room, being intimate with people, eh, I'll just, 
I'll just keep my way, keep the big room. But slowly, as our culture started to continue to develop and go through the things that were necessary for us to grow, the grace groups eventually took off. And now they're at the stage to where uh, there are Sundays where grace group attendance is as close to Sunday morning attendance as you can get. That's, that's a huge deal. I do not have a peer in all the world that can say that. I do not have another minister that I know that their small group gatherings are equal to or nearly equal to their large room gathering. That is a massive, massive thing to say about you. Because that means that the culture of the kingdom, when I use this word culture, it's not just beloved, it's the kingdom. When I, when I use that word culture, I need you to understand, culture goes beyond doctrine and theology. And you can have all the right doctrine and have all the right theology and have a jacked up culture and never truly experience the kingdom. You can have all the right answers and not live right. Amen. I, you know how many marriages I know that the husband's got it all figured out. He's doing everything right. And they ain't got a lick of intimacy. Not a lick. Because there's more to relationship than just having all the right answers. All the women should nod real hard on that. <clears throat> so our grace groups are something that, that gives me um, kind of an affirmation that we're doing it right. And especially when people desire to be there, love to be there, uh, exhort one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, share testimonies, um, witness the, the things that God is doing in their life. And so if you're not a part of one, please be a part of one. And this is not a commercial about grace groups. What, what I'm saying is that because of the dynamics of our church, we're a regional church, which is not... I don't really have a lot of peers that have that either. Most people have a church that's in a town. And the people in that town go to that church. We don't have that. We have a regional church. There's people that drove today in the blizzard, negative 35, wind chill, whatever the stuff is. There's people today that drove two hours to be here. That's a regional church. And nobody forced them. I didn't call them up, so you better be there. I haven't done that yet in my life <laughs> with my leaders. I ain't going to do it. You either want to be here or you don't. If you don't want to be here, don't come. Because it will not do your heart well to force yourself to do something that it doesn't want to do. It will not do you well. And those grace groups were designed to connect with the regional aspect of who we are. So we're all the way from Huntley to Sterling to Orangeville to Lena and, and try to do everything in between. And because of that, there are going to be way different dynamics in those grace groups. And there's going to be different people. And some of the people that are in these grace groups don't come to Sunday morning here. That's pretty radical. <clears throat> and the grace groups I've given the leaders permission to lead. For some of you, you might be struggling with that. I'm not the boss here. 
I'm not the CEO. I'm not the, the president of Beloved Church, Inc., the nonprofit church entity that the IRS says has the right to say truth. This is the Lord's church, and I am his servant. I am his slave. I am the slavest of all the people in the room. Now, are there things that I have responsibility for? Absolutely. Do I shepherd the souls of those that are willing to be shepherded? Absolutely. Am I responsible for that? Absolutely. And I, uh, I take great honor and also humility in doing that. But I'm in charge of no one except this guy. And that includes the leaders around here. Now, I influence them. We spend every Tuesday, all of the leadership team, we spend every Tuesday between six and eight hours together, ministering the word, praying together, sharing together, crying together, laughing together, every single Tuesday. We are purposeful about building relationship. One of the reasons that we have the church that we have with the culture that it is is because we're investing the time as leaders to be intimate and be in unity. It's, it's unheard of in the corporate world for sure, and it's even very rare in the Christian world, which is sad because guess what Jesus did every day? He spent 24 hours with his leaders. <laughs> he had 12 apostles, disciples, that he chose to be the ones that would carry on the mantra and the gospel in, after his departure, and he spent every day with them teaching them leadership skills, teaching them how to do the kingdom the right way, how to get rid of the bad version of the kingdom that came through religion and tradition. He, he did that a lot. So as good as we are every Tuesday with my leadership team, if I was Jesus, I'd be with them every day, all day. But some of them don't like me that much. So, <laughs> Because of the leaders having the right to lead, there's going to be different dynamics in different grace groups. That's not wrong. It's just diverse. Can I get a witness that K is different than me? Amen. Good for you. Does that mean worse or better? No. Different. In the diversity of who we are, God created her female, hallelujah, <laughs> and God created me male. And in the, in the difference, in the diversity of who we are, is what gave us the ability to be fruitful. That's why homosexuality is such um, a, a blasphemous relationship because it is, it is the arrogance and humanity of man to say we are going to do it our way even though there's only one way that God ordained for it to be. That's why their movement is called pride because that's what it takes in order to advance that way of thinking. But there's a lot of forms of pride. Pride also could be I am a member of the Pearl City Grace Group when I'm not leading the Rockford Grace Group. 
And so if I came to the Pearl City Grace Group and I said, hey, Kay, let me tell you how terrible your grace group is, then I would not be honoring what God wanted to have happen there. And there is grace groups that we have that average six, eight, ten people, and there's grace groups that have 40 people in it. And we're growing. The sweet spot for a grace group is like 10, 12, 14. That's like the sweet spot. Eight. And we're not going to, well, I'll say it this way. I have never done anything perfectly that yet. I'm not saying I can't. I'm not saying I won't. I'm just saying I haven't done anything yet perfectly. And I don't think we're doing the grace groups perfect. But we're trying. Some of them have too many people. Some of them don't have enough. Some of them have kids things, some of them don't. Some of them have worship, some of them don't. If what goes through your head when you think about the diversity of the grace groups is something negative or uh, maybe what makes you want to complain about one or the other, then you do not understand the culture of the kingdom. Paul had a culture, and people were attracted to it and also repelled by it. And Apollos had a culture, and I could go in deep on this. I've studied this a lot. And some people were attracted to it, and some people were repulsed by it. And Paul and Apollos together made the kingdom awesome because one planted, one watered, and Jesus brought forth the fruit. So if there's things that might be happening in the grace group that you're at that are not awesome, then pray. But to talk about it with other people, to tail bear and gossip, is not the kingdom. And I'll guarantee you, whatever grace group you're at, it ain't perfect. Even though I say Kay's perfect all the time, She's perfect for me as a wife. She's still learning how to be a minister, and she's still perfecting her imperfections, just like you. We're all going to do it together. But one of the things that is contrary to us doing that together is if I have a problem with Kay and I go and tell Stacy. Please hear me. Jesus made this super clear. Paul reiterated it on three different occasions. I can give you the scriptures if you need them. You probably know them. But if you have a problem with your brother or your sister, and you don't go to that person directly, before you talk to someone else, you have done what's the word in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The word is diabolos. Can anybody hear what might be lurking behind that specific word in the Greek, diabolos? It's the Spanish word for devil. 
devil is an accuser of the brethren. An accuser of the brethren is someone who accuses a brother or a sister, and the only way you can make an accusation about someone is that you haven't gone to them directly to find out what's going on. Well, I think that Josiah is shooting neighbor's cats when he comes home from work. Why do you, you think that, Pastor Steve? Well, because Frank told James, who told his uncle, who told his brother, who told his nephew, that one time when I was at Walmart and bumped into his ex-girlfriend, <laughs> that Josiah shoots cats. It, that is not the kingdom. Jesus said you're not even allowed to give an offering if you know that you have an ought with a brother and you haven't gone to make it right. Jesus said that, not Steve. This isn't the kingdom of Steve, it's the kingdom of Jesus. The way his kingdom is done is going to be through love, through unity, through grace, through mercy, or it ain't going to be done. Kay and I are going to have a great marriage because her and I talk about our marriage a lot. Which means I listen. <laughs> Gossip is not talking to. Gossip is talking about. You will never fix anything talking about it. You have to go to the source. I want to say that I am an approachable person. I believe that I am. I have people that confirm it a lot, and then I also have some people that kind of feel like I'm not. So I just want to say this. If you believe that I'm unapproachable in some way, I'm sorry. That's not my intention. I am not trying to project that. I might project that. It is unintentional. I am approachable. I, as I scan the room, I can believe that nearly everybody in this room that I'm looking at now, because you guys are the ones that braved it, that everybody in this room, I have probably either been at your table or you've been at mine. I know that we've talked on the phone and or texted. So I, I want to believe that I'm approachable. But maybe you think I'm not. I'm here to tell you to... To definitely make sure the truth is heard that Kay and I are very approachable. And if there's something wrong in beloved church and you don't know who to go to, then come to us. We don't want there to be wrong stuff. And sometimes the things that are wrong in beloved church might be you. That's hard to hear. Because obviously you got to be perfect, and so therefore your perspective is perfect, and so if anything's wrong, it's got to be the church and not you. Yep, I've been there. It makes you lonely. Yeah. I would encourage you not to be that way. The next thing I want to say is that, okay. Are you moving on from Grace Group? Yeah. Can I say something? Yep, okay. please. Um, one of the things that would be of great benefit to all of us, um, including you know us, is when you see something 
that maybe could be better or, you know, things are just, um, you see things that maybe could be improved or changed or different, um, instead of just complaining about them, instead of just, oh, man, that's terrible the way they do the things and stuff, for us to take the time to just ask the Father, how can I help bring a solution? That it would be beneficial to us in so many areas of our lives instead of just being negative and complaining and just not liking it, but actually taking the time to firstly ask God, well, if it's, is it just me? Is it just me? I have the problem. Or is this something that really is a problem? And what, what can I do to help? What can I do to bring a solution? Because that, that should be the heart of everybody in this room when it comes to the Sunday mornings. It should be the heart of this room when it comes to their grace groups. It should be the heart of this room when it comes to ladies' ministry, men's ministry. Whatever, whatever you know, you're participating in and a part of, what can I do to make this better? What can I do to help? Because if you, if you come with that attitude, you might have the solution. You might have the solution to maybe something that will make your grace group better. So instead of focusing on what's wrong with it, going to God and asking him, what can I do to help and make it better? And, and going to your leader and saying, I think God showed me a solution. Or God showed me a way that maybe we can do things differently. And trust that your grace group's going to hear what you have to Your leader's going to trust that you talk to God and he'll listen and consider that, man, thank you so much for actually just helping us find the solution because we're, we're a family and we're going to do this together. So this is our grace group family. And so for all of us to be able to help one another you know, make it better. <clears throat> Which actually seamlessly leads into um, two kind of connected points. We, the folks that have been ordained by God to do leadership and make some of the decisions that are behind the scene, we're aware there's issues. We're not doop-de-doos. We know there's stuff. That's why God has leaders. And I don't, I think there's some kind of a disconnect because people think that, you know, the kingdom is this and then the world is this. And as it relates to purposes, there is a, a huge chasm between the two. But us doing this is going to have people. Anytime you add people to a scenario, you are going to add issues. Yes. Had we were just doing marriage, uh, premar premarital with uh, a couple that we're going to be marrying, <clears throat> and um, I always ask this: I said, "Why you, why do you want to be married?" and Probably about 60% of the time I'll hear, well, to be happy. And I just laugh. Like, man, if you want to be happy, go buy marijuana. Like, <laughs> sorry. It's yep. on there now. Don't buy marijuana. <laughs> Don't do drugs, kids. It's terrible. That will not make you happy. Yep. No. The marriage is not, God didn't ordain marriage to make you happy. If you aren't happy going into marriage, being married ain't going to make you happy. 
It's going to make you worse. Oh, my Lord. If you're not a whole healthy person when you go to get married, you think someone else is going to make you whole and healthy when Jesus can't? That is a joke. Happiness is something that you have to strive for and work for that comes out of the fruit of you doing what God wants you to do, which is usually a lot of hard work. So getting married doesn't make you happy. Getting married actually can make you the opposite of happy if you don't do it right. We are aware at Beloved Church that there's humans here. Some of you are not fully, completely sanctified. You don't fly around from cloud to cloud sprinkling pixie dust out of your rear end. We're working with you. You're working with us. When you add humans to the mix, you're going to add issues. We're working through them. Some of those issues we're fully aware of. I know that there are some people sometimes who are like, well, I don't know why Beloved Church doesn't do nothing about this. We're trying. For example, we are out of church. We had 150 people here last week. We have 159 chairs. You do the math. You should be inviting people here. If you're not inviting people here, we'll go back to a previous conversation is why in the world are you in the kingdom? If you don't want other people in the kingdom, you're probably not in the kingdom. So we've got nine chairs left to invite people. That's a problem. We've got folding chairs. We've got places where people can pop a squat. It, it's okay. We'll figure it out. You, you keep inviting people. We'll figure it out. But we are out of facilities. We had 19 babies in the nursery last week. If you've ever seen the nursery, yeah. you put yeah. 19 babies in there and two and a half workers, woohoo! <laughs> Amen. You should have heard the praying in tongues coming out of that room. <laughs> and our amazing nursery team handled and it like the champs. amazing nursery yeah. team handled it like a champ. Yeah. Got babies on both hips, and they're like, <laughs> it's, it's, I am, I am not a woman. <laughs> we are out of facilities. The, in the church world, 80% full is full. If you're more than 80% full, you are strangling your church because people are people and they just don't want to sit next to each other. Look around the room. It's cold in here. You know what would be beneficial? If all of y'all were as close together as you possibly could, but no. Two, 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 two. You'd rather be cold than be close to someone. It, it's, it's still that human part that hasn't changed in you. Amen. We're, we were out of facilities a while ago. But right now we're kind of stuck. Here's what we're stuck at. We owe about 200 grand on this building before we can do anything. I'm telling you this so you know. I'm not telling you this so you take up an offering or pass the bucket. I'm telling you so you know. Until we pay off this building, there's nothing we can do. 
We can't go buy another building. I'm not going to get into debt. I'm kicking myself regularly for getting into the debt with this building. That is not God's way. It's just not his way. And I knew that I missed the mark when I signed the papers. I knew it, but I didn't have a choice. Our old church was condemned because it was flooded. We were, we were out of options. And I got stuck with a mortgage, which is a deed unto death if you look up mortgage. And I'm sorry for all of you that have been here a long time. I'm sorry that I put us into debt. I really am. I'm not doing it again. Which means that if we are going to grow and do what God asks us to do, we're going to have to deal with that and look into the future. I'll guarantee you the future is probably not less than $10 million. The facility that we need, the things that we do together as a church, we're not going to just knock out a wall and put in a little addition. It ain't going to happen, y'all. We need another facility. We need a bigger facility. We're going to keep this one because this will make a great youth church. <laughs> but we can't go anywhere until we solve that problem. And once again, this hurts me because all of my peers have had regularly people walk up to them and say, ah, oh, pastor, this just happened. I won't name names, but this just happened very local with another pastor friend of mine where they had to split from the UMC because of the GMC, UMC thing. If you're not hip to that, then you can go look it up. And so when you split from the UMC to become a GMC church, they treated them terrible. And I do want to put this on the record. You cannot call yourself the United Methodist Church and be kicking people out because they believe in the Bible right. yeah. and that marriage should be one man and one woman. Anyway, they got kicked out because the congregation go, uh, voted to go GMC, which is the conservative side. And so they went GMC and the UMC said, fine, you want to leave our church? You got to pay for the building that they paid for. Yeah. Their 70-year-old building that they've already paid for, they have to pay for it. That's how you know who's on the right side and who's on the wrong side. That's how you know who's evil and who's good. And so the pastor's like, okay, congregation, just so you know, they're kicking us out. We don't have the $420,000 to buy this building. And after service, uh, a person in his church walked up to him in a pair of overalls and said, here you go, pastor, handed him a check for $420,000. The farmer in the church wearing the overalls said it's not right for them to try to take our church away from us just because we ain't got enough money. Now we don't, I don't think we have anybody in here with $420,000 in their checking account just waiting for me to say this so you can give it. But I'm telling you where we're at. It's not like we're unaware that everything is blowing out that kids' churches got more kids than we got square space, than we got more babies in the nursery than we got nursery, and we got more butts in purple chairs than we got purple chairs. We're aware, and here's where we're at. Additionally, I've been thinking about this and wondering because we are larger than we've ever been. 
We regularly go through all of our, our people. We take attendance every Sunday and it's not because we're creeping on you or we got some attendance chart and you get a gold star if you've been here. We're doing it for us so we know how many people are here, what their ages are, you know, what we're to try to plan and make things right. So we mostly take attendance for us. And, and so in our attendance report, we have a system that we put all that into and it helps us make reports and stuff so that we can be better leaders. And so I'm saying all that to say there are actively in Beloved Church almost 300 people, which is incredible. I remember when I couldn't get over three I had Kay, Hannah, and Gunner, and they were like, we ain't growing this church at all. <laughs> the preacher's terrible. <laughs> Stop it. Until he gets it figured out, we ain't inviting none of our friends. <laughs> and so now we're 300. And that's, that is huge, and it's a blessing, and I'm, I'm honored to be able to say that. But I'm also, it also hurts me a little bit because I'm wondering um, what really is changing in the hearts of people because when you grow at that rate and you get to 300 and we're starving for volunteers and we're starving for finances and we're starving for um, different, different things that take the people and I get it. People there, there's a lot of people that come to a church and they're like, you know, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to see if this is a place that I want to make roots. And I'm okay with that. And I'm not telling anybody you got to give, you got to volunteer, you got to do anything. I'm not telling anybody to do anything. Not my job. I'm just giving you the information. And when you don't have enough volunteers to do stuff, that's why we had to quit doing a second service. We wanted to try to figure out how to deal with all of the people that we were gaining. And so we started a second service. And what happened was we started a second service mostly with all of the volunteers that worked first service. So then we started a second service so all the volunteers can have 12 hour days. And nobody else volunteered. And people want us to grow. <laughs> And people are talking about all the problems. And like Kay said, maybe you're the solution. Yeah. And I'm not telling, don't walk up to me after this and say, I want to volunteer and I want to do stuff. You, you and the Holy Spirit work this out. Yeah. I'm just giving you the information. It also is the same thing with our finances. We're 300 people. Um, hallelujah. Uh, Ryan, Jess, Kay, and I took a pay cut this year. We had to reduce our budget back to two years ago when we're bigger than we've ever been. And there's some of that is for good reasons. The good reasons that some of that can be is because we've started, there's about 12 to 15 ministries that have been birthed out of Beloved Church. That's a big deal. Yeah. And so what happens is when you go from having a ministry to having 15, that's obviously going to dilute 
the people's giving. And so there's probably a lot of people in here that you give to Beloved Church and you give to the Ark and you give to Rugged and you get awesome. Praise God. Keep it up. Do more. But I'm just telling you that Beloved Church general fund is behind two years. And that, that also leads into um, an aspect of the finances that I am just shocked by. When Kay told me this, I'm like, ah, I don't know about all that. But there are people that, because we have given everybody in this room, everybody in Beloved Church, everybody out there in, in YouTube land, we've given everybody a right to give, not give, Give how you want, do whatever you want. We are not in charge of anybody. And so there are people that give, only give designated. Which means we don't trust this church. We don't trust this leadership team. We're going to tell you what to do with the money, where it's going to go. Or we ain't going to give. And if that's where you're at, I get it. Maybe you came out of bad church experiences and people have stolen your money or done stupid stuff or whatever. I get that. We're not those people. We're not. And if you want to keep giving designated, that's, that's between you and Jesus. And I don't know. I didn't ask Kay. She just told me that there are people that the only time they ever give is designated to something specific that they think they need to do. That is your call if you want to do that. But what comes out of the general fund at Beloved Church is the mortgage and our paychecks. You can do whatever you want. It's your money. It's actually the Lord's money, but most people think they own it. And I want you to know that you have the right to do whatever you want. I'm just giving you information. And I'm not telling you to change anything. I'm telling you that this is the reality of what we've got going on at Beloved Church. And I would, I would think it awkward if I brought my paycheck home to share with my family and I told Kay, hey, this can go to food and my tools. And she said, well, you know, I kind of need some clothes. I have one outfit. Well, you better believe God, woman. You would think I would be a terrible husband. You'd be right. Now, if I got a bonus and I said, hey, I want this bonus. I want some of this bonus to go towards tools. She would probably be okay with that. Especially if they're tools that I use to fix stuff around the house. So all of that is some information, and like I said, I, I wrestled with whether I wanted that to be on a recording, because I don't know if I want people to know, because I don't want you to be moved by any kind of emotions. If, if you're thinking, oh, Stephen and Kay and Ryan and Jess had to take a pay cut because of, I'm going to give. No, because then you're not giving from your heart. You're giving because you were impacted emotionally. I want you to 
pray about it. And if you give and you're regular and you are doing what the Lord wants you to do, then none of this is for you to change. This is just for you to know. And if you're in a grace group and you love being there and you, and you, you don't say anything bad about anybody, then this is just information for you to know. And I'm honestly of the opinion that about 80% of the people around here that, that you're in, that, that you give, that you love, that you support, that you love your grace groups and you love your leaders and, and you tend not to say stuff about other people's uh, problems, issues, you want us to have a bigger church, you're inviting people, you're doing, I'm saying like that we have a vast majority of people in Beloved Church that do that. And if you're not one of those people, you can be one today. You can just hear this information and say, okay, maybe I've had some funky with the kingdom, and it probably came from your past. If you come from a bad church, there is no way that you're just going to go from a bad church, go into a good church, and make that transition without having to deal with the stuff. If you came out of a bad marriage and you're going into a good marriage with a good Christian person and a good pastor to lead you in there and you're doing all that, there is no way that you're just leaving all that luggage behind and you're going to go in like nothing ever happened before. I get that. And if you're in some, if you're wrestling with trying to figure out how to do that, come to me, come to Kay, go to one of the leaders, talk to them about it. So we know, because we want to pray with you. We want to believe God with you. We want you in here more than you want to be in here. I can assure you. We don't want anybody out. We want everybody in. That's why I decided that I'd say this stuff publicly and put it on the recording so that everybody knew that you're all invited to be as close and as intimate as possible. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Yeah, I just uh, I kind of want to say this is just the dynamics of being a part of a church. It is. Like... You know, we serve one another. And so we find that place that God has called us to serve in our, in our family. Like we all, like even in the, you know, just the natural family, we all have things we do to serve and help our families in the natural family. You know, so it just makes sense that we all come into this family, into the, the family of God, and we find our place of serving. And, you know, when we come into this family, how can I bless them? How can I... What can I do, like, you know, fathers, they're, they're always, they're the providers. They want to come. How can I take care of my family? This is our family. How can I take care of my family so we have this place to gather? How can I help take care of the leadership team? How can I help make sure the building is somewhat warm? You know, <laughs> not that I'm picking on Ryan. Um, Speaking of facilities, we could use a new boiler. But, you know, that's what, that's what family does because you love one another. I love you. And so, so what can I do to serve you? I love you. I want to bless you with, you know, my finances. I love you. And so I, I want to help find solutions to problems that I'm seeing going on in our family. Like this is all a part of being in the kingdom and being a family and loving one another. And how can I just be a blessing in all these different areas? And so this is this part of being a church. I, right before I, Ryan sent me the, <clears throat> the text, it literally was like this. I'm really sorry to send you this text, bro. But the boiler's not working again. This was last night, like, I don't know, like 
me and the me and the girls were upstairs chatting about what were we even talking about? Um, anyway, I'm like the boiler. So I'm like, all right, and made the calls and did the thing and uh, found out Stacy had like 16 extra space heaters at her house. Um, so, you know, last night at eight o'clock, I spent about two hours driving around, jumping drifts and, and braving the weather and I pulled two cars out of the ditch while I was running around space heaters and all that kind of stuff. And right before I left, um, I was checking my notifications on Facebook and there was a, I cleared my notifications and it went back to the home or the feed or whatever. And the th top thing on my feed was a person, one of my friends who said, if your dog is outside, I hate you. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. And I don't care what you think. And then five seconds later, I get the text from Ryan, like, building's cold. When I got here this morning, it was 52. So your guys' body heat's doing good because I just checked it was 59. So way to go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was driving around last night for two hours, you know, praying and <clears throat> praying in tongues and, and just uh, thinking about you guys and what was necessary to try to do a little bit to try to get some warmth in here. And I'm sorry that it's not warm. I tried. We tried. And I remember thinking, like, this person publicly told millions of people, potentially, that she hate, shouldn't have said that, that they hate someone because their dog's outside. And I remember thinking, I'm going to drive around and do all this so I can get people warm for church. I will guarantee that woman is not concerned about the temperature in our church that's going to have 100 people in it. That person cares more about a dog than they do a homeless person. That's the society we live in. If you care about a dog, you're a good person. If you care about a church, you're weird. That's how upside down our world is. That'll go into our first question for Q&A Sunday. We got there. <laughs> My question is, this came online from one of our followers. My question is, how does a person break free? This, listen closely, because I think this will be beneficial for a lot of people in this room. How does a person break free once and for all from the fear of death? Dealing with the thoughts of it, hearing about, uh, hearing about it from others, Hearing others talk about, you know, that dying seemingly, oh, knowing about other people who are dying seemingly out of nowhere, they just dropped over dead. I'm going to mm -hmm. keep my opinions to myself on that one. Hearing every commercial talk about death and or cancer and or COPD and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
How do you fight against superimposing the things that happen to others on yourself? And they said, thank you for allowing Q&A. It really means a lot. And so I, I kind of want to deal with this fear thing um, specifically because this is something that affects way more people than I'm, than I'm aware of. Because one of the first things that happened to me when uh, I moved into an authentic place with the Lord, which, by the way, Kay and I brought three extra blankets back there. If anybody needs a blanket, they're back there in the folding chairs. Um, feel free to grab one. Uh, one of the things that I was immediately redeemed from when we first, when I first had my intimate experience with Jesus when I was 20 was fear. I mean, it was immediate that I just knew that I knew that Jesus was going to take care of me. It, it was just... He never said anything like that. I don't remember reading a verse like, Steve, I got you, or anything like that. I just knew that I knew in that experience that Jesus was going to take care of me, that I was in good hands. And so fear has nothing to grip onto in a situation like that. In 1 John chapter 4, let me read this to you. This is important. I'm in the BSB. 1 John 4, I'm going to start in 15, and obviously the screen folks don't have any clue where we're going on anything, so it might take them a minute, so if you have your own Bible, this would be a good exercise for you to find 1 John, little John, instead of big John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15, if anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. That seems like really simple or really foundational Christian theology or doctrine, but I'm telling you, a lot of people don't get any of that. I'm in God? Yep. God's in me? Yep. How does God fit in me? <laughs> Amen. You have too many desserts. <laughs> And the word confess here doesn't mean Jesus is the son of God. That's an incantation, and I hate that stuff. Confession is something that comes out your mouth because your life is already living it. This is why when people tell each other they love each other, or let me say it this way. I know that there are some people that tell me they love me, and they don't love me. Because they're words. Anybody can say that. Hey, you're pretty. How do I look in this dress? Wonderful. Do I look fat in this blouse? No. You, anybody can say anything. I don't look at words. I very, very seldom have any, any value for what people are telling me if they don't align with their actions. If the fruit does not align with the words, I throw the words out. And there's a lot of people that do this. Uh, this is the best church ever. Uh, yep, in six months, you, I'll never see you again. 
That was the best sermon I ever heard. Okay, we'll see how many times you listen at home. Uh, my, uh, I, I love you. Uh, I want to have and hold you in sickness and in, in health and richer and poorer. Till death do we part. No fault divorce. Two years later. You know what no fault divorce means? I just don't want to be with you no more. And who cares about the kids? You know, and it's not like they have any rights. My feelings are what's important. I know these kids have a biological father and a biological mother, but we care more about our feelings than we care about our children's feelings, so we're just going to separate. No fault divorce. You know, no, nobody did it. You know, there's no biblical reason for us to separate. We just fell out of love. Words are really easy to say. But the confession that this is talking about is an alignment with the expression of your life and the purpose of your life. It's not just, I confess that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, the devil knows that Jesus is the Son of God. He literally said it to him when he was tempting him, if you're the Son of God. It wouldn't be a temptation if he didn't know. It's not just saying he's the Son of God. 16, and we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. And is a conjunction and I'm not going to do exegesis on this verse, but I want to show you something that's important. You have to first have God living in you and you living in God. Then there's the and that conjuncts, conjoins you to the next thing, which is to come to know and then believe the love that God has for us. This is why you've heard me say my least favorite answer when I'm telling someone is, I know. You know where I got that from? It's not just a Steve Castle thing. It's a God thing. Because how many times is God telling us something and on the inside we're like, I know that. I know you love me. Really? You know. Because this is going to tell you what happens in your life if you know. If you know, then you believe. And if you believe... The love that God has for us, that God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God. Now there's an abiding that went from just from God being like present. You know, there's a difference between God being present with you and God abiding with you. How many, how many loveless marriages are out there where their spouse is present? Like that's their address. That's where their mail goes. But they aren't abiding Living daily, emotionally connected, spiritually connected, soulishly connected, financially connected, all the things that go with actually abiding together is way different than just being present. I was there. I was, son, I watched your awesome football game. You did great. Really, Dad? Because every time I looked up, you were on your phone. Yeah, but I was there. Okay. You weren't there. If you, if, by the way, just FYI, some of you have already experienced this. 
if you're talking to me and your phone goes off and you look at it, I stop talking. Some of you already know that. Because if you're going to give your presence to your phone, then I'll just wait. I'm not offended. I'm not, that's fine. Maybe it's something important. Maybe it's a 911 thing. I'm okay with that. But I'm not going to pretend like I got some secondary thing going on. You cannot multitask. There's no such thing. Your brain was not wired to do that. You cannot do two things at once. You can do something well and something badly at the same time. But you cannot multitask. You cannot effectively do two things. You have to do one thing at a time. If you know the love of God, it will cause you to believe the love of God. And then whoever abides in the love of God and God in him, verse 17, in this way, love has been perfected among us. That's how love gets perfected. You know it then you believe it, then you abide with it. That's the process for having your love perfected. Not only your love from God, but your love to God and your love for one another. The way love is perfected is the way love is perfected, period. This is the process. When that love is perfected among you, you will have confidence on the day of judgment. For in this world, we are just like him. Confidence on the day of judgment. That means you know that you're headed towards a day of judgment. You know it. Well, not me. I'm a Christian. There's no judgment for me. Really? <laughs> we are all going to judgment. I ain't got time for that, but I'm going to get into that later when we do the eschatology part of this series that we're in. But we are all headed for a day of judgment. There is a day of the Lord coming. There is a judgment day coming. And how you fare on that day will have a lot to do with what you believe and what you live. Verse 18 says, there is no fear in love. That means that you should be able to confidently go into your judgment day because you are loved by the judge. Yeah. Man, don't you know that changes everything? If I got a speeding ticket and I forgot about it and then they sent me a bench warrant and had arrested me and I'm sitting in front of the judge and he just happens to be my best friend, I, I, I'm going to be okay with going into that because he's probably going to work it out. I mean, I might have to do whatever I got to do, but they're not going to do the, the, G, the J6 stuff, the January 6th stuff, and just like, you're trespassing, so you have 400 years in jail, and we're going to torture you naked while you're doing it. But that's, that's, that's evil, immoral, unlawful. It is, it is unrighteous judgment. When you know that you're going to sit in front of the judge who is your father, who loves you and has already done everything personally to deal with your judgment, he bore your sins, carried your iniquities, you're going to go into that judgment day confident. This is going to be a good day. 
The whole world is going to get justice, and I've already got mine because of Jesus. You want this world to have justice. Yeah. Amen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. In other words, you don't get rid of fear. Love does. Yeah. I said something that will change your life if you let it settle. You don't get rid of fear. Love does. That's what love does. If you try to get rid of fear, you just get different fear. It's, it's like that, uh, that stuff that you squeeze, you try to put it into a little container, and it's more stuff than container, and you can press it, and you can put every, like trying to put a new Tupperware lid on. Like, you can stand on that sucker, and you can do it, but it's going to pop off, because it just don't fit. You trying to get fear out, We'll never get fear out. It'll just change it. It'll morph it into something else. You'll go from fear of God to fear of man and fear of money and then fear of failure and then fear of sickness and fear of death. and fear. It'll just change into something else. Love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. If you know you're going into judgment with God, and you can go into not just the judgment day, which is at some point in the future. You can go into judgment today. You want God to judge you today. You know the word judge is not a negative word. It's a neutral word. You want judgment if you're righteous. The reason that so many Christians say, well, don't judge me, is because they're unrighteous. They're living unrighteous. They're acting unrighteous. They're talking unrighteous. They're behaving unrighteous. And so then when you say, hey, you're being unright, don't judge me. Okay, God bless you. Have fun with that. I want justice. I want judgment in my life because I want to live righteously and I want my father to judge me based upon righteousness. Hey, son, here's how you can be a better husband. Thank you, father. That's a blessing. Instead of just letting me sit over here and flounder and be a terrible husband, you actually told me how to be a good one. I love you, and I love you too, son. That's why I told you how to be a better husband. Thank you, Father. That's a grown-up position that many Christians don't have. Perfect love drives out fear, all fear. So if you're fearful of death or if you're fearful from whatever this world is projecting on you, the problem isn't the fear. The problem is love. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. If you have fear, the Bible just said, the Bible said, not Steve, the Bible said, if there's fear in you, then you do not have love perfected in you. So what should you work on? Love. Fear is a liar. Yeah. We love Verse 19, because he first loved us. So when you're working on your love, are you going to work on your love for God? No. You're going to work on revelation, knowing 
believing and abiding in his love for you. Romans 8, verse 15, Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery that returns you to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Notice, slavery and fear are cousins. If you are in fear, you are enslaved to that fear. You cannot be in fear without being in slavery to it. Yeah. Cannot. If you are in love, by then definition, you are in liberty. Love frees you, fear binds you. Yeah. And will bind your life and will bind every aspect of your life. It's good incentive to work on your love. And then finally, 2 Timothy chapter 1, these are famous verses. Verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan the flame, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. The spirit that's in you has power, has love, has self-control. You cannot control self without the spirit. <laughs> okay, the four of you that heard that, that's going to benefit you. A lot of people think they can self-control themselves right into the perfect life. Read the self-help books. Do all the right disciplines, and you'll just be awesome until you're not. Yeah, you said pretty much everything I wanted to say. Um, but one of the things uh, that just this question made me think about is um, sometimes our fear is derived from, well, at least fear of death anyway, is the people we're going to leave behind my kids, my family, what's gonna happen if I'm not here to take care of them or provide for them? And it, and it just, you know, it still it boils back down to that love. If you believe that God loves them as much as he loves you, he's got a way to take care of them, if anything. Um, because I know a lot of, you know, parents especially deal with that because, you know, they love their kids. But you know how much more you're, God loves your kids more than you. Like, you think you love your kids. Right. Like, we think we love our kids. But God loves them so much more. And to know that because he loves perfectly, he has a way to take care of anything that happens in our lives, whether it's any fear, fear of finances, fear of something bad happening to our kids, fear of something bad happening to our spouse, like grandkids, like, it's all because we don't have a revelation of how much God loves us and them. Because I... It, <laughs> this has a reverse, too. It, okay. I dealt with, as a parent, fear of bad things happening to my kids fairly often. They would get hurt. Somebody would hurt them. Um, 
Not me. No, no, not you. Um, and, and it almost was this, this self-centered thought process that I love them more than God. That my, my worry over my children, my fear over my children and bad things happen to them just showed that I, I trust, I, that you know, if I keep them safe and I keep them protective and I control where they are and I control who they're with and I control and I control and I control, then I will keep them safe and I will make sure nothing bad happens to them. And that was just so, Arrogance. yeah, so arrogant of me to think that I was my kid's safety net. I was their protector. And inadvertently, what I, what I was doing in that process is teaching my kids that I was their safety net. I was their place of safety, not God. Me, mom. Mom was going to keep you safe. And so I wasn't ever trusting that God was going to keep them safe. You know what? And God's going to tell you where to go, and God's going to speak to you and listen to his voice. Because God's going to lead you into the safe places to go. And so it was this arrogance on my part, thinking if I, just, if I just kept everything under control and I just kept them in the safe places that they were, they were going to be safe, it was false. And it was a lie. And it was because I, I thought I love my kids more than God. And this pride goes into you, too, because... If God really took care of you the way that you wanted to, well, then you'd know that God loves you. That's kind of arrogant, too. How about you trust him to take care of you? And maybe not tell him how or why. Maybe he'll figure it out. I, I know it's shocking to think he might be smarter than you. Um, another, another aspect of this is that our children... We are required as parents to show our children a safe place. Because otherwise, how could they ever trust the love of the Father? If I am their father and I did not show them a safe place with me, how could they ever trust the Father to be safe with him? Amen. Amen. You know, our kids were never concerned about Kay and I not being together. They were safe to the fact that they have a father and a mother that loved them, that were always going to be together and be there for them. They don't have faith in us more than God, but we showed them what it meant to be, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We, my children knew that if they were with dad, they were safe. One time we were somewhere in... Uh, Gunner's not really a fan of dogs. Uh, he's had a couple of bad experiences with dogs. And we were somewhere, and this dude had a dog, and he was not a good dog, just like a lot of them aren't. I'll pay for that later. <laughs> yes, you will. I've seen those words coming out. Of... Um, they're usually, Hannah will tell you, my daughter will tell you that there's no bad dogs, there's bad dog owners. Um, I'm somewhere in between. <clears throat> uh, we were somewhere, and this dog came out after Gunner, and Gunner immediately went right behind me. Is it because I'm some super fantastic dog whatever? I'm the dog whisperer? 
No, because Gunner knew that behind me, the only way the dog was getting to him was through me. Right. We should be creating that for our, the only way that our children, man, I'm not going to get into parenting because if I get off <laughs> on this tangent, I won't come back. But showing our children the love of God. Kay and I knew from day one, before our children were even born, we knew that our responsibility was to get them to the Father yeah. as quick as possible. Yeah. Because we suck at parenting compared to God. Yeah. And that meant the quickest way to get them there was for Kay and I to embody the character, the virtue, and the nature of God as much as possible so that they could seamlessly transition from us to Him. Yeah. And you know how I many parents are have 40, 50 year old kids living in their house and they're still parenting them. You know what that actually says? They want to be the God of their children. And so they never transition their children to the God of their children. Good parents want their children to not make them the God. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Got one amen. Next question. For we know grace isn't a license, or we know that grace is not a license to sin. We also know sin is sin. Sin is as simple as just missing the mark. And then in Hebrews 10, I'm going to read these verses. These are regularly um, concerning verses for anybody that reads them. I'm going to start in verse 26. So this will be Hebrews 10, 26. Uh, I'm going to read down to like 34. Uh, 26 says, if we deliberately go on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no further sacrifice for sins remains. Which the author of Hebrews is just saying, there's one sacrifice for sin, one time. Yeah. His name is Jesus. It was 2,000 years ago. If it doesn't fit in his atonement, you're out. God's not doing something special for you. He's not going to send Gabriel down and do an extra death for you. He's not going to reincarnate Jesus Christ because you went and screwed up again. There's one sacrifice for sin, for all man, for all time. Verse 27, but only a fearful expectation of judgment. Now we have fearful expectation of judgment. These verse, this is two separate questions that came in on two separate days. And I want you to see how they tie in. So if your love is perfected, you have confidence in the day of judgment. That's what we just read in 1 John chapter 4. And now here is the author of Hebrews saying that if you are living in sin, then you should have a fearful expectation of judgment.
but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume all adversaries. Whoa! <laughs> I think he said it clear. Anyone who rejects the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think one deserves to be punished who has trampled on the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and insulted the Spirit of grace? I'm going to remind everyone, I didn't write none of that. That is good, solid, canonized scripture that is in the Bible. You can like it, you can hate it, but it is there. And I will tell you that there are a lot of quote-unquote believers who are dangerously close to a lot of these things. Treading underfoot the covenant. If you can't do your covenant of marriage right, if you can't do the covenant that you have with your children right, do you really think you're doing the covenant with God right? Yep, quiet in here. Insult the spirit of grace. You know what grace is? Grace is what empowers you to get out of sin. And so when you're in sin, when you're missing the mark in your life, God sends grace to you. Romans chapter 5, verse 27, 28, somewhere in there, it says that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. When, you're, when you are stupidly, ignorantly messing up your life, even on purpose, God sends grace there. Why? To lift you out of your stupid. That's what God does. He empowers you to do what you can't do. That's what grace is. And so if, if grace shows up, if you're, if you're mucked up and you're in the middle of a, a self-inflicted, uh, ridiculous scenario, and God says, quick, send grace to Steve. He's messed up right now. And you know, Gabriel probably will say, well, he messed himself up. He made his bed. He should lie in it. The father says, no. He's my son. I love him. Send grace. And so then grace, whoosh, shoots out of heaven and comes right to Steve and then whoa, hovers right here. And then I said, nah, I got this. I'll take care of my finances. I got it. I got the self-help books. I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat a little better. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the, the holistic herbal remedies for all my stuff. I'm gonna, I'm gonna meditate and think happy thoughts. Um, Grace is like, ah, I wanna help you. Now I got it. I'm good. You know many times I've offered to pray for someone like at a Walmart or something? Like, hey, you know, can I pray for you? I really feel like God just, just wants to bless you or something. I'm good. You're, you're good? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. You don't want me to pray for you. No, I'm okay. I'm good. You're good without God, with, without prayer. Yep, I'm good. Okay. Good luck with the despising the spirit of grace. 
Hope it works out for you. Life lived without grace is guaranteed failure. For we know, verse 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. The Lord will judge his people. <laughs> Not just those people. You know, because we want those people judged. God judge them. I mean, Lord bless them, because I'm supposed to pray nice, but judge them. Judgment begins in the house of God. The Lord will judge his people. Verse 31. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Verse 32. Remember the early days that you were in the light? In those days you endured a great conflict in the face of suffering. Remember those days? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to ridicule and persecution. At other times you were partners with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property, knowing that you yourself had a better and permanent possession. Now what? When we first come to the Lord, you know, we, we tend to just go all in like, God's awesome. He loves me. He saved me. He redeemed me. I'll do anything. They can take my property. They can take my stuff, but I'll just keep my Jesus. 20 years later, ah, Jesus, pray. Read the Bible. Go to church. It's cold out. Changes. What changes? Faith. Love. What the author is talking about here, th these are some really tenuous verses. The whole book of Hebrews was written on this about keeping the faith. And I could... I could break off and go into kind of a, a hermeneutics of, of the book of Hebrews and, and unpack all that. I'm not going to do that. But this is what the author of the book of Hebrews was writing for because the people that he was writing to were facing life. And life was trying to take their faith. It's happened a lot. I could name names, give phone numbers of people who life took their faith. And what he wrote this book for was to encourage them to keep the faith. That's why Hebrews 11, the famous faith hall of fame chapter is in the Bible. He said, look at all these people that had faith. They didn't do it perfectly. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Uh, uh, Barak in there was a, was a bad person. All the people that were named in there, none of them were perfect. None of them. But they kept the faith. They worked through their problems. They came back and worked it out. Faith in God. Believing in God. Believing in his love will keep you from any of the fearful um, expectation of judgment that will come as a result of someone who continually lives in sin. Why is sin, why is it important to live a holy life free from sin? It's not because sin will give you judgment or damnation or send you to hell. You don't go to hell for sin. You go to hell for not believing. 
People that went to hell didn't believe. They didn't believe in God's forgiveness. They didn't believe in God's character. They went where they believed. Sin will destroy your faith and your relationship with God. Sin doesn't separate you from God. You've heard preachers say that forever. Sin separates you from believing. You, you continue to live, uh, well, I mean, a good example was Kay and I, when I was in my spiritual coma years. The, the sin that was in my life that I allowed into my life was putting distance between Kay and I and putting distance between me and God. Why? Because the sin was taking my belief. It was changing me to believe something else. Well, I'm not going to be just happy with Kay. I need Kay and a few other gals. I'm not going to be happy with what God gives me. I'm going to have to sell my soul to make more money because money will make me happy. It changed my belief system. And if you would have talked to that version of Steve Castle, I promise you, if you would have talked to that version of Steve Castle 15 years ago or whatever it was, you would not even have recognized the belief system in that guy compared to the guy you know now. The belief system. I still have the same kind of character and virtues. I just believe different. Sin changes your belief. If you believe enough to do the sin that's coming to tempt you, then you're going to believe that that sin is going to produce something in your life. A person who steals believes that stealing will add something to their life. Otherwise, why would you take it? It's a belief system. Sin changes your beliefs. That's why if you stay, if we go on deliberately sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there's no further sacrifice for, for sin that remains because there's nothing that can be sat. There's, there's no atonement that Jesus can make that can change you out of your belief system. You have to believe. You have to believe for the rest of your life. And the best way to keep your beliefs pure is to live pure. And I've got tons of other verses on here, but we're out of time. So I'll let Kay yeah, put fast. a bow on it. Um, one of the things with this, too, in the book of Hebrews, um, that the author is being just very deliberate in his language and just very black and white, um, is for generation after generation after generation after generation, it was sacrifice for the remission of sins. Like that is all that they knew. This is how this works. And then Jesus came. And there's a better way. And there's a new covenant. And so they were starting to operate in that new covenant and live that life out. And then things got hard. And they, and there's, there's this warning almost, I want to call it, in the book of Hebrews. We're like, don't go back. Don't go back to that old covenant, that old way. It doesn't work. That's, it's, it's done away with. It's old. There is a new and better and perfect way. And just how we do that sometimes. How we come into the kingdom and we're all in and we want to do things God's way and then things get hard. And then we kind of start 
kind of going back into the, the way the old man used to live life and the way the old man used to think and the way the old man used to, to talk and, and live life. And so it's just this warning, like, don't do this. This is going to be of no benefit to you if you go back to this works mentality. If I just do this, if I just do it the old way, don't let the pressures of life try and convince you that the new and living and kingdom way is not the way when it gets hard. Yeah, Romans 6 deals with this too. And Romans 6 says that the old man is dead dead and we resurrect the wrong person all the time we want to go back to that old way that old man and do things that way knowing that at one point you wanted that that man dead so much you put him on a cross there's there's a lot going on here and i don't like i said i can't unpack all this but like the word in verse 26 it says we deliberately go on sinning you know people read that like well man i deliberately sin well of course you do every sin you do has a deliberation to it, a deliberate aspect to it you know you can't you know like you guys have heard me talk about my testimony about gluttony like you can't unwillingly get fat nobody held a gun to your head and shoved a fork down your throat eat more dessert now no, you, every time you're like, hey, I like this. You're deliberately doing that, and some people hang their hat on this deliberate part. But this, this deliberate sin here is talking about unbelief. If you deliberately choose to not believe, which will happen if you live unholy, you will deliberately choose to unbelieve. And if you deliberately choose to unbelieve, there is nothing that's going to rescue you. Jesus made one sacrifice for all the sins, for all of man, for all time. And what do you, your only response is to believe. <sighs> all right. Thanks for suffering through the family meeting. I know that probably was a little hard. All right. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.